0: Alright, we are still in 1st John, we're in the last, cha- the last half of 1st John chapter 2, so if you will turn with me to 1st John chapter 2, and I'm going to pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this chance to be among your people, teaching your word, God, I ask that you come and help us, Lord, as we dive into 1 John here. Lord, help us to to learn from it what you would have us learn. Lord, I do this with confidence that no matter how I may mess up and the shortcomings of my sermon, no matter what those are, that your message will be delivered to your people. It's the only way that anyone who is honest can preach. So God, we thank you for this time and your word. I thank you for the promise that your word does not return void. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so we... Are picking up, and we're going to be in. You'll see in the liturgy there. We're going to be covering a lot of scripture. Uh, and this is. Uh, I'm using this as a practice. Uh, AJ and I had a conversation earlier, um, and he said, "Wow, man, you you preach whole sermons on one verse, and now you're tackling all these verses." And um, and I'm kind of viewing this a little bit as practice. Uh, because the elders we are praying about uh, possibly preaching through the entire Bible in a year now, to do that you 've got to not preach about a lot, so you 're really kind of hitting the the big grand narratives of the books um, and then maybe diving in on some very focal passages, uh, but you can 't preach uh, you can 't preach and and fully examine every verse if you're going to kind of do that. And we're thinking and kind of talking about and praying about the value in having an understanding of the Bible as a whole and where all these books fall into it. So then when we come back to expositionally, well, really that's, ex- you would depending on how you look at it, that is expositional preaching. You're just covering huge chunks instead of verses. Uh, but then when we come back to the verse-by-verse verse and diving, the deep dive into the books, we have that context to be able to come back to. So I'm kind of using this as practice about what that might look like. So I'm going to try to, to resist the, the my natural desire to preach five or six sermons today uh, and only preach one, but, but hitting the highlights of the Scripture that we're talking about. Um, and if you uh, will follow along with me, because I am going to read uh, the, the Scripture that we're teaching from today. So I'm reading 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that, an- that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come, Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might, be, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Father has the Son. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Yet what you heard from the beginning Anointing that you received from Him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in Him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. First John, uh, John three one. See what kind of love the Father has given us, and we should be called that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the word the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him nor knows him. Little children, let No one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Therefore, does, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So, Wow, there's a lot there. So we're gonna dive in and kind of touch a couple of the the thoughts and 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 ideas that are addressed here. And I want to start off uh, by by just a bit of context, just a reminder that this is being written by an elder to a church who has who are dealing with some some conflict and some struggle and some people who have. Uh, some some people who have left that church, probably leaders who are teaching non-biblical things. So that's the context that this is is written in. And you can really see that come out in this scripture, in this passage. So so we see this. So let's, let's start with verses, kind of look at verses 18 through 23. The Antichrist is coming. And many Antichrists have come. So this is an important idea to think about. So most people think of Antichrist and they think of the end days, right? And they think about what's going on, you know, think about uh, Revelation. Even, and and that's, I believe that to be true. So I'm, I'm not saying that's not true. But what I'm saying is, and I think what the scripture is saying, is that anyone who isn't, that that there are more than just the antichrists, there are antichrists. And an antichrist is anyone who teaches that God and Jesus aren't, um, that that distracts you from believing in in Jesus and that he was sent by God to save us for our sins. So um, we see this, this idea and it, and you know, we see that this idea that when Jesus, if you're questioning, so in verse 22, who is a liar but he who denies that, Christ, that Jesus is the Christ? And this is piggybacking on what I think it was AJ talked about, um, about this Christ is not just Jesus, it's not Jesus' last name, right? It's not Jesus Christ. It's a title, it's, it's, a, it's a, a specific thing. And what that word means, um, Christos, uh, is anointed one, the anointed one. The, the, it's the Greek version of Messiah. And Messiah is Hebrew for, again, the anointed one. So it's, it's really clear here, this, this anointment, this anointing that has been put on Christ, that makes him unique, makes him special. And we're going to see later on, in, in a little bit, we're going to talk about how we have this anointing, that we have this anointing. Um, but we, we, we see this these antichrists, some of whom are in the church and are distracting the sheep, are, are distracting them and misleading them. And regrettably, we see this today. We see the church, there are lots of people who claim to be Christians and claim to be uh, leaders in the Christian church, claim to be pastors, uh, who are really just deceivers and deceiving people for their personal gain. And um, you can, you know, using Paul's language here, those would be antichrists. They're not the antichrist, but they are antichrists. So, Uh, We see this argument, this idea, so whatever, we don't know the specifics of what was going on in this church, but we know that they were teaching something other than Jesus as Christ. Okay? And um, this made me think about this kind of classic idea that C.S. Lewis uh, has talked about. He wasn't the originator of it, but like many things, C.S. Lewis was brilliant at the way he communicated things. And he, it's the, uh, you've heard of a dilemma, right? Which is a choice between two things and you don't know exactly which. There's also a trilemma. And this is the example of the trilemma that C.S. Lewis discusses. And it's the idea that Christ, that Jesus is either liar, lunatic, or Lord. Because Jesus presented himself to be God, to be equal with God. He presented himself to be God. So he was either lying when he did that, or he was crazy when he did that, or he was Lord. So we, as, as believers, it's clear where we land on that, right? We say, Lord, he was Lord. There are plenty of people who say, no, you guys are crazy. He was, he, he was crazy. He was saying this crazy stuff. He's a lunatic, or he was a liar. But in that three options, there's an option that we don't, that I didn't mention, that most of the world would actually say, wait a minute, I don't want to, I don't like any of those three. I want to vote for he was a good man, he was a wise prophet, right? I want to put him in the same category as I do Buddha or Muhammad or, you know, we're gonna start lining some folks up, Confucius. We're gonna put up some good men, some wise men who wrote some good things that we need to think about. And I'm gonna put Jesus in that group. The problem with that is there's no room for Jesus in that group. Jesus made sure there was no room for him in that group. So so that's and that's really C.S. Lewis's point is that you really only have three options when you look honestly at Scripture to to identify what Jesus, you know, who Jesus was. So, um, so as we move forward into verses 24 through 29, we see this language uh, of ob- abiding in in God. So first of all that the idea of uh, if in 24 let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you've heard from the beginning abides in you, then you will abide in the Son and in the Father. So we see this abiding in, right? And it's this whole idea of, of, of putting as central, abiding in it, rest, trusting it, trusting it. Like literally inhabiting, abiding in, right? So... So this this is what I'm going to put my stake on. I'm going to stake my life on. This is what I'm going to this is where I'm going to be. This is where I'm going to live. And and we see this um, connection to this abiding is this anointing in verse in verse uh, 27. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. So first of all, when you read this on its face, this abiding is the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit that abides in us. And it, it, it's easy to kind of see that language of, well, I don't have to... Well, why am I even listening to you, Cody? Verse 17 says, I have no need for anyone uh, or th- that... You have no need for anyone should teach you. Well, that's it's not talking about learning more about what's going on. This is talking about for your salvation. So this is for your salvation. So when the Holy Spirit abides in you, it's done. You are a new creation. It's done. It's not based on anything else. And we see that there's this... Um, uh, we can see from the scripture that, that there appears to have been this extra teaching that was going on in this church. So there's this idea that well, there's this extra kind of secret. It's called Gnosticism. It's kind of a, a word we put on uh, lots of different teaching. But the idea that that there's something special, something unique, it's a hidden secret, that if you just that's you you you're not really a Christian until you have this special knowledge. So it appears as if in this church, there was the, probably one of the leaders got off the tracks and, and really, as John says, was never on the tracks to begin with. It just looked like it. He was a deceiver. And then he led some astray by talking about and teaching about this extra hidden knowledge that you've got to, you've got to have. Now, uh, it's easy for us to look back in time at uh, people before us and say, oh, how silly, uh, that's, you know, that, but that's a, that's a problem for the past. Okay, Cody, good to know, Gnostic, check it off the list, but we don't have Gnostics now, so we can move forward. Uh, I would really caution you from, from feeling that way or, or, or focusing and thinking that way. We have this today. Many, many churches today are preaching Jesus plus something or Jesus minus something. We're going to get into that in a minute, but at first I want to really focus in on what's, you know, I'm talking about this hidden truth and, and, and this, the scripture is telling us, no, you know what you need to know. The idea behind this is that It's simple you know verse 27 but as his anointing teaches you about everything and it is true and is no uh, and is no lie just as you were as it has taught you abide in him and now little children abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence there's this idea that there's this you know so if, if we're talking about what's what not to add on to. Let's talk about what the thing is. And the thing is the gospel. And it's super simple. It's amazing. But it's simple. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. That is literally it. That's the gospel. We are sinners, right? We are condemned if we don't believe in Jesus. Jesus was sent by a loving God to take our place and pay our penalty. That's it. Paul Washer tells a story of being in a foreign country And he is preaching, and a man walks in the back, and he describes him as a mountain of a man. And he walks in, and he's clearly uh, disheartened. He walks in, and he sits down in the front. Paul Washer brings uh, his message, a very clear presentation of the gospel. At the end of the, the message, is a very small church, at the end of the message, he steps down to this mountain of a man and says, hey, what's wrong?" And this man says, he has an envelope, and he said, I've just been diagnosed with cancer. I'm going to die. And he said, okay. And the man said, I'm scared, and I have no hope. So Paul Washer sits and says, well, you, you heard my sermon, right? You heard the gospel. And the man said, is that it? Is, it, is that it? And he said, yeah, but... It's, And he said, I'll tell you what, I'll I'll cancel all my plans. And he he was planning on flying back after that church service. So he said, I'll I'll cancel my flight. I'll stay with you. We will go over the word until you either, until you believe, until you kick me out, or until you die. And the man said, okay. So they're going over scripture and he's just kind of going through different preaching and, you know, teaching him, showing him different promises from the Scripture, and he keeps coming back to John 3.16. He keeps coming back to John 3.16. And after a little while, he comes back to John 3.16, and the man, he says, okay, read it, you read it. And the man's reading it, and he stumbles. So God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes should not perish but have everlasting life. And the man stopped and said, I have everlasting life. And all of a sudden, it stopped being about the words on the paper and it started being about the condition of his soul and the Holy Spirit changed that man right there. And he then became a child of God. That's, that's it. It's... it's it's that simple, right? Now, some of you may say, well, if it's that simple, then why doesn't everyone believe? Well, I would say that everyone's not called by God. That that understanding of the, of the Spirit, that understanding has to come from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to indwell in you because we don't come looking for God. So, so that's the simple gospel. God so loved the world, He sent His only Son, that whomsoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's it. That's the gospel. So, if that's the thing, then, you know, again, kind of following on to the idea about, well, I mean, if it's, if, is, it, is it really that simple? It can't be that simple. Right? We have to have the right Christology. You've got to have the right eschatology. You've got to, be, you've got to know what's going on with the Holy Spirit. And you've got to have this, you know, does your, is your understanding of atonement correct? And you, you've got to have all this stuff, right? Well, I, I want to read a passage from you. So I, I gave you an example from uh, Paul Washer's life. I'm going to give you an example from Scripture to talk about this as well. Luke 23, verses 39 through 43. Luke 23, 39 through 43. Jesus is on the cross. And he's with two thieves who deserve to be there. And he is innocent. He doesn't deserve to be there. And we're going to pick up at the... the they, these men have are literally suffering on the cross. And that's where we pick up the story. So, verse 39... One of the criminals who was hanging railed at him, at Jesus, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. He's saying, look, are you not afraid? We're going to die today. We're going to die today, and this is what you... Are you not afraid of God? Verse 41, And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has, not, has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. You see, this man, he did not have a great theologian's understanding of Scripture. We have no reason to believe that this man knew much of Scripture at all. He obviously hadn't lived a righteous life, so no one can make the argument that he has earned some sort of favor with God. He's a thief hanging on a cross, admitting, hey, I'm sp- I should be here. So he didn't earn it. He doesn't have some great knowledge. As Alistair Begg preaches... He's going to get to heaven and they're going to say, why are you here? Can you articulate your theology? Are you a Calvinist? Are you an Arminian? Are you post-mill, pre-mill, pre-trib? No. If they ask him those things, he's going to say, "I, I don't know anything what you're talking about. Why are you here? The man on the center cross told me to come. He said I could get in. That's the same answer any of us should be ready to give. Now, I can tell you why I believe in substitutional atonement and why it's important that we understand that. But it's not important It's not the thing that's going to get you into heaven. It's not understanding that that's going to get you into heaven. It's going to be pointing to Jesus and say, the man on the cross said I could come. That's it. That's all I got. I didn't live a good life. I didn't give a bunch of money. I could never give enough. I could never live good enough. I could never do anything. Couldn't serve God good enough. There's nothing you know, our, the greatest missionaries, the greatest pastors, the greatest theologians, they'll have the same answer that the man, the thief on the cross, has Jesus told me I could come. That's it, that's all I got. That is how simple this is, and how prof- profound. So, the problem is, a lot of the world doesn't like this. They don't like this. It's too easy. It's too simple. So, people come up with Jesus plus stuff or Jesus minus stuff. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13 tells us, And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. So there are people who are far smarter than me, And they look at what I'm talking about this morning and they say, Cody, that is foolishness. I can't believe you would do that. You must be way stupider than I thought you were. And my response is, God told me you're going to do that. God told me you wouldn't make sense to you. And I'm going to keep praying and, and talking to them and try to help them to understand the simplistic Power of the gospel. But these aren't things that are taught by people. This isn't wisdom, earthly wisdom. So, so we, we see that this concept of, of things being added on Right? Jesus plus. You've got to do this other thing. You've got to do these good works. You've got to give money. You've got to, you know, in the olden days, it was pilgrim- pilgrimages. You've got to go to a certain place. You've got to climb up the stairs at the Vatican. You've got to crawl up the stairs to make atone for your sin. But then we also have another, there's another risk that we have. And that other risk that we have is that we can sit here and think, well, we can do anything we want. Right? We're, we're, we're Christians. I'm saved. Jesus died on the cross for all my sins, even the sins I haven't committed yet. So I can just do whatever I want. This is called antinomialism, And it's the idea that there is no law. So we can do whatever you want. And I... There's a a quote that's attributed to Martin Luther. Um, We have no idea if this is really his or not. It says, We we are saved by grace, but the saving grace is never alone. We're saved by grace, but the saving grace is never alone. And we see this idea... Martin Luther is just expressing an idea that he found in scripture, if it was him. James chapter 2, verse 14 through 17. So verse 14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can the faith, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, and lacking in daily in daily food and one of you says to them go in peace be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body what good is that so also faith by itself if it does not have works is dead now It's easy to look at this scripture, and people have looked at this scripture and said, see, this is proof. You've got to earn, you've got to have good works too. You've got to have good works. Faith is not enough. You've got to have good works. I can understand how you get there, but I think that they're not, I I fear that the, the understanding of scripture, that's not what I see here. What I see here is an idea that there can be people who have false faith. You know, our, our confession of faith today is from Matthew 25. And it's this idea of, hey, we've done these things. Actually, maybe it was the offertory. That we've done these things to God. And, and Jesus is saying, hey, you did all these things for me. You did all these great works. Now, that's not why they got into heaven. But they did those things. Because they were believers. But they didn't put their faith in those actions. They didn't even know they'd done them. Earlier on in that chapter is another group of people. And those group of people had put their faith in their actions. They said, look, we did all these great things in your name. We prophesied, we healed people, we did all these wonderful things in the name of God. But now you're saying you don't know us? Because they were putting their faith in the things they had done. So what, what James chapter 2 is telling us here is that we should look and use... You know, this is the argument against Jesus minus. Right, so Jesus plus is legalism. You've got to do all these things, and you're, you've got to dress a certain way, and you've got to talk a certain way, and you've got to act a certain way. And all of this, you got extra stuff, right? But Jesus minus is saying, oh, you can do whatever you want. You can do whatever you want, it doesn't matter. And you can party for Jesus. You can use drugs for Jesus. You can do whatever you want to do. No, you can't. That's Jesus minus stuff. Because a true saving faith is going to live out in the lives of of the people who have been saved by it. We get the fruit of the Spirit. This is the whole idea. We are changed when we are saved into a different being. So don't be fooled. You can't do whatever you want. We, we are not our own. So we see in First John chapter three, verses one through 10, we see this idea that we are not our own. We are children of God. We can't go off do unrighteous stuff. That's not how it works. We're part, we're connected to Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And there's gonna be a natural outcome of that. We're not gonna be seeking sin. Now, again, let's be really clear. I've heard pastors say things like, maybe even me, hey, we have children in the audience, so I wanna be really clear about this. This might be one of those cases of we have adults in the audience, so I wanna be really clear about this, okay? When you look in verse verse 8 of chapter 3, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, and the devil has been, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. In verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. This does not mean we are free of sin. Back at the first chapter of John, of 1 John. That's not what this is saying. This is talking about making a practice of sin. This is saying this is how I am. It's what I do. I'm a thief. I'm a thief. So I'm going to steal stuff. I'm, yeah, I'm saved. I'm, it's fine. I'm just going to keep stealing stuff. You know, hey, I'm... I'm an adulterer. It's just who I am. I'm, I'm an adulterer, so I'm just gonna keep going to keep doing that. It's just who I am. If you have sin in your life that you, you have identified this is sin, but I'm okay with it, you have a real problem. What the Bible is telling me here is if you are making a practice of sin and that's okay with you, and you're just going to keep doing that? The Bible is telling me no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. So, if you're not struggling with your sin, if it's just kind of comfortably laying in your life, it's got its lane in your life and it's there and you're okay with that, I, Scripture's telling me that God's seed may not abide in you. That should be the scariest thing you've heard me say all morning. Now, it doesn't mean that we're going to be sin-free. We have a confession time in our service because we are all sinners, and we're going to sin. And that recognizing that sin and repenting of that sin... Lord willing, is something that happens faster and faster and faster in our lives as we mature as Christians. So it used to take me weeks to, to realize how bad of a sinner I am and that I have sinned and I need to repent. And then maybe it just takes me a week, and then maybe it takes me five days, and then maybe it's four days. You see what's going on? That's, that's, that's spiritual maturity. And eventually, God, the Holy, through the Holy Spirit, we start seeing stuff before we do it. And we start going, oh, I'm going to do, oh, wait. That's a sin. That's what Jesus died on the cross because of stuff like that. No, I'm not going to do that. That's the Holy Spirit in us changing us and sanctifying us. So we we see this righteousness and and practicing sin, and they, they can't be the same. That can't happen. So so that brings us to this idea that's brought up that we are children of God in verse 1 there of John 3. That we should be called children of God. And then it's repeated several times in that passage. This is where I really want to focus in and, and, and wrap up. That we are children of God. Galatians 4, verse 6 tells us And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave. But a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. This is a beautiful, beautiful example. You have a master, he has a slave, that slave's rebellious, sins against the master, but the master says, I get it, you deserve to be punished. But through the sacrifice of my son, you are no longer, my, you're no longer a slave. You're going to become an heir, one of my children. There's a, a beautiful song and um, a pretty good movie that goes along with it. With, that talks about what are we going to do when we get to heaven, right? We can only imagine. You know, are we going to dance are we going to fall on our faces like what's going to happen i have no idea right i have no idea i think it's great to be thinking about that in those spiritual terms like what what's that going to be like but an amazing thing to me is when we get to heaven when i appear before god he's on his throne I love history, I think about medieval stuff, right? And it's, a lot of this imagery, is, it lines up with that, that mindset. You would never approach the throne of a king, Never. He might beckon you, but you don't just walk up and approach the throne. There's one group of people who do. His children. You see, if anybody just starts walking up to the throne, someone with a sword is going to kill you. Because you don't approach that authority. That sovereign power. Because you are nothing. This is the king. What are you doing? But the king's children. I just have this image in my mind of a Powerful king with strong soldiers around him. And a little girl just trotting up to her dad. No fear. He's the most powerful man in the kingdom. He's got armies at his disposal, he is armed himself. She has no fear. She trots up to her dad. Because that's not the king who rules. He is. But to her, it's her dad. That's what we get to do with God. We will get to stand before God and say, God, Father. And He'll get to say, Son. And this is a crazy idea for me. But God loved us so much that He sent His Son for us. I grew up, you guys have heard me say this, I grew up in a church believing my understanding of God was this angry, angry ruler, an old man on a throne with a hammer who was waiting for me to sin so that He could punish me. That's not what the Bible says. You see, this is is hard for me to believe. But what I see in Scripture is that when I get to heaven, God is going to be happier to see me than I am to see Him. makes no sense to me. But that's how much God loves me. And He's going to look on me and see Christ's righteousness. So He's not even going to see all the sin that He had to... He had to sacrifice so much to cover. He's going to look at me, see God's righteousness, and say, Son, I'm so glad you're here. And that's what we see in Scripture. And that's the gospel.